Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. Hello everyone, it's Shannon and I'm here to share an interview with author Kosoko Jackson and we are discussing his latest novel, I'm So Not Over You, which was released in the U.S. here in February and I really enjoyed talking with Kosoko. We talked a lot about romance and all of the different ways romance appeals to people. Um, we do talk a bit about representation in romance and, of course, what Kosoko is working on, the very many genres that he is writing in and hoping to continue to write in. So I really hope that you find this of interest. Um, he is an author that I definitely will be keeping an eye on after having this interview. And then I will be here to chat with you about some of this week's new releases. So let's move on to the housekeeping information and then we'll get started. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am here with author Kostoko Jackson, and we are discussing I'm So Not Over You, which is scheduled to release in the U.S. on February 22nd. So, Kostoko, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Can we start with a brief introduction to I'm So Not Over You, so that sure. listeners have a little bit of an idea what to expect? Of course. So I'm So Not Over You follows Kean Andrews, a recent college graduate who is aspiring to be a journalist. His dream job is to work at this place called Spotlight, which is basically my fictional version of BuzzFeed. But he hasn't been able to get the job. Um, and then one day when he's recounting how much student loan debts he owes, he gets a text from his boyfriend, his ex-boyfriend, asking him if he can meet him urgently. Kean thinks that Hudson Rivers, his boy, his ex, is going to be apologizing and they're going to live happily ever after, after their breakup about four months ago. But Hudson has a favor to ask of him. 
Uh, Hudson's oh. parents are, are coming in from out of town and he needs Kian to pretend to still be dating him because according to his parents who own a major brewery empire in Georgia, uh, the only good thing that Hudson has ever done with his life is date Kian, who's incredibly grounded and more serious than he is. In exchange for having this fake dating for a day, he will get Kian a job at Spotlight because his ex-best friend at boarding school is now the owner of Spotlight. But of course, in typical rom-com fashion, Hudson speaks out of turn, and one single night turns into them being invited to the wedding of the century down in Georgia, and them having to keep up this lie for a whole weekend, and having to navigate lost feelings for one another. Okay, so kind of like second chance romance, and fake relationship, and all sorts of greatness exactly. here. You got it. I, I love fake relationship stories i don't know why exactly because it's one of those things that would never like really work in oh yeah it would never happen in real life ever but works so so nicely in in romance yeah i agree so do you have a particular like inspiration for this novel um like how did how did this come to you like what made you decide to tell this particular story so when I started deciding that I wanted to write rom-coms in 2019, um, I emailed my agent, I think it was like six o'clock in the morning, and then he got back to me. He was like, you've never written a rom-com in your life. Normally I write science <laughs> YA, but he is very supportive, and he was like, let's try it. So we spent all of 2019, or at least 75% of it, uh, doing what's called writing on proposal. So for your readers who don't know, that's basically writing 50 to 100 pages of a book and a large detailed synopsis and selling it to the editor based on the promise of the book, using that as an example. And so I wrote four 50-page packets, three or four. So I pretty much wrote a whole book before we settled on this one. And it kind of got to the point where my agent was like, all of these ideas are like 75% there, but something's off. So then he was like, put together a list of 10 ideas that you have and let's see if we can hone them down before you start writing. And this was the one that he picked, which is hilarious because I had sent this idea a year earlier to a friend who loved it. And I was like, I'm not sure. We have so many fake dating stories. Maybe I need to put it in the back burner. And my agent was like, this is the one. We went over it. We wrote it and edited it in two months, put it on sub in January and it sold by April. That is amazing. So is this your first published rom-com then? Yeah, it's my debut. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah, I am a big YA reader. Um, and so I've seen your stuff there in terms of like the, you know, science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had not seen a rom-com. So I was super excited to see this. And then I'm thinking, oh, like, did I miss one? Like, was there one before it? <laughs> nope. You're right on time. Beautiful. So did you have any like noticeable differences in kind of the way that you wrote versus like, not only are you switching kind of the like age range of your readers, but you're switching genres. So, so totally. So I'm wondering what you, what you found to be different or, um, you know, more difficult about writing a rom-com that wasn't necessarily like in the YA arena. The difficult part is like, and if my editor ever listens to this, I know she'll, she already knows what I'm going to say. It's writing the sex scenes. So um, my books, which is really surprising because I believe when you put a book out there, as many authors do, that it like no longer belongs to you. It belongs to the readers. So when I wrote I'm So Not Over You, I was like, this is pretty like tame on sex scenes. But every person who's contacted me is like, this is like a highly steamy book. And I was like, is it? But when I write my books and I send them to my editor, 
the sex scenes are never in the first draft. They're literally the final thing I write. And every single time she's like, you have to write these before I send this to copy edits. Oh. <laughs> and it just is a TBD inside the book until we get to the final draft. Um, it's just why it doesn't really have sex scenes. Um, as an adult, it's very weird to write sex scenes for teenagers. So we don't do that. At least I don't. So I'm not used to writing them. So I always feel like I'm doing something wrong or they're not steamy enough. So that was the hardest thing when it came to writing rom-coms. I would think that the easiest and the thing that really got me into this is when my debut YA came out, one of the things that people loved about it was the romantic relationships. And I really believe that being an author, I kind of had this expression that I have on my wall, which is uh, write for your heart and edit for the market. And what I'm seeing when I wrote my first debut is that people really thought I was a really good romance writer. So why not lean into that? Because it's what people want and give it a try. I love romance for its ability to kind of slip into so many genres. Like you can write sci-fi and it can still have romance. You can write a thriller and it can have romantic elements. You can write historically and there can be romance. And I think it's just such, such a versatile way of writing to include that romance in you know so many different genres and I think that's one of the the best things about writing and reading romance I fully agree with you on that and I think it's like the romance is the thread that ties us all together I think in books if it has it in them and I just I like how I consider myself a science fiction writer so I can include romance in like my science fiction I'm also working on a dark academia YA it has So it's like the one thread that's in all of my books, and I like to have that consistency. Can you tell me anything about the Dark Academia YA? I love Dark Academia books. Sure. Um, so is there like a-, a creepy boarding school and like? <laughs> yes, there is. So um, it's called The Forest Demands Its Due, and it comes out through Harper Collins Quiltree Books in fall of 2023. And it follows an African American team named Douglas who gets a mysterious invitation to attend a boarding school in upstate Vermont that is known for making kings and queens. Um, metaphorically inside of our society if you graduate, but he learns that he is connected to a curse of a town in a very surprising way when it becomes clear that people who die within this town of Winslow are forgotten and erased from memory, yet he can remember every person who dies. Um, And so it has a lot of like age old curses, these dark connections to this town, a malevolent headmaster. It has a very like Wuthering Heights relationship with a brooding son of a uh, groundskeeper, and it also is like an air, an ode to like gothic fairy tales. Okay, this will make me so happy. Um, twenty twenty three feels really far away though. <laughs> well, it's not far away because I haven't finished writing it yet, and it's due in two months. So I need oh, to <laughs> well then, that is not very far away, I guess. I just am not a very um patient reader I love when authors you know obviously like take their time and write their best books but at the same time I also hate waiting for that to happen yeah I think it's always funny I remember my uh friend Tiffany Jackson when she wrote one of her <gasps> books had a very funny tweet about how spent five years writing this book but readers read it in two hours yes Tiffany Jackson is one of the very best oh, YA thriller writers out there I love her. Yes. 
like allegedly like blew my mind. White smoke and, changed how I thought about like writing. Ah, now see, white smoke I have not delved into because I'm not a big like ghosty person. Mm. And so I have to kind of gear myself up and be like, okay, I'm going to read a ghost book. Right, um, that's fair. And I, I haven't done that yet. But allegedly, and Monday's not coming, um, and grown, I think, were the three that, like, really impacted me um, of the ones that she's written. Mm, that's, yeah. No, I think that's very, those are all exceptional. Yes. Yeah, she's so amazing. I'm always super excited to see, like, what she's coming out with next. She's just <laughs> so, so great. <laughs> so... As a romance, like as someone who's written now a rom-com and science fiction, and you are working on a dark academia YA, what do you kind of see as your path going forward here? Like, are you going to kind of stick now to rom-coms or are you still feeling kind of diverse in terms of your genres? So I, even since I was in college, have always been someone who does a whole bunch of things at once. Um, and so as I get a little bit older, I'm trying to narrow that a little bit because I really envy authors who are like, I've published five books in the thriller genre and built up a brand in that, which you don't get when you jump as much. It allows me to fulfill my well of like diving into different things, but it doesn't build an audience the same. I definitely see myself continuing for rom-coms as long as people buy them um, because I really like that. I like the, uh, the lightness of it. That escapism is really important to me, especially as I like write these dark books to have that dichotomy. But I really think YA is still inc incredibly important. I got started yes. writing YA because I wanted to see authentic and positive representation of queer Black teens, and I don't want to lose that. So I'll probably always do both tracks at the same time, even though it stresses me out every day. <laughs> there is um, an author, Jesse Q. Sutanto, yep. who I spoke to um, last spring. And I remember she told me she had like three or four books coming out within a year and they were all in these different genres. And I was just like, how, how do people do that? It's hard. Um, it's a lot of double writing at the same time. Like um, I had copy edits for my second rom-com due while I'm also drafting my dark academia book while I was also promoting I'm so not over you. So it's a lot of things t typically doubling up on each other. So when you're sitting down to write, like how do you kind of structure what needs to be done when? Like, will you take a whole day and focus on one book and then the next day focus on something else? Or how does that work for you? So it's easier when I'm editing one book and writing another book because they use two different parts of my brain. So I can do those on the same day. I can write in the morning and edit at night or vice versa. If I have okay. to draft two different books at the same time, that usually requires me to not do that um, and like kind of like butt them against each other. One will be done on like March 1st and then March 2nd, I start the other one. If I really have to write both at the same time, then it's really either opposite days or one in the morning and one in the afternoon. So I can have like a mental break. Okay, because, yeah, it would seem like you would need to kind of, like, clear one kind of out of your mind and make room for the ideas of of the next. Exactly. And sometimes it's easier to do it at the same time, like, bouncing between projects when they're drastically different. Like, 
decapitation in the dark academia is I can write that and then take a lunch break and then go into fluffy romance. If I'm writing two romantic scenes, one in YA and one in adult, because writing those is so different, even though they're both romances, I have to have more separation and delineation. That makes sense. I'm always interested in people's writing processes just because I feel like for every author, there's a slightly different process. Like oh, yeah. no Everyone people is different. write in exactly the same way. If you ask 100 authors, we would all have a different way of doing it. Yes. Which I guess is why there are so many like widely different books out in the world, because like different people write them in, in so many different ways. Exactly. So I wanted to talk with you a little bit about representation, because I feel like in the past several years, we have seen more representation. And yet there's still like so far that publishing has to go. And so I'm wondering what sort of ideas or um, encouragement would you have to kind of help people continue to like push their work forward, even when it seems like, you know, maybe the world isn't, isn't ready or, or willing to do this much like representation work? I think that's a really important question. And I also, I think about this question a lot because I remember five years ago when I started publishing the advice that I was given. And I often think about the advice that quote unquote successful, especially like New York Times level successful authors give. And I always think it's like comes from a good place. But the advice like a good example is write the book of your heart and it will be successful is easy to tell somebody when you wrote the book of your heart and it ended up like selling to 15 different countries in a seven house auction. Because that's not most people's experience. Uh, Most people is the book of your heart doesn't sell. Um, So I try to give good, like the honest advice that doesn't feel like that. And it's really hard. I think representation has come a long way. We are a lot further in writing in YA and an adult and seeing diverse books be more of a commonplace. Um, I remember I did a romance event about six months ago and they mentioned for publisher marketplace and they mentioned that five years ago we would never have two male rom-com authors on a rom-com panel because we didn't really have those before. Traditionally published right. male authors are so few. Um, so representation is coming a long way. That doesn't mean that we're at the point where it's like there yet. I still see it. I see it more in YA than an adult in general. I feel it's see authentic representation in YA is growing. There's more of a responsibility and onus on the writer and also on the readers. But at the same time, when it comes from a writer's point of view, we still get those situations where people are being told we already have one black book. We already have one queer book this this semester. Um, I just saw a Twitter thread about someone who was talking about how an agent told them that they couldn't buy their book because they were bi, but they were married to a man and that wouldn't sell in the market. And that's what? like, yeah, um, I just saw it yesterday. How is that even a thing that someone would think they could say? Right. Like, that how? Is uncomfortable. It's, I think it's an invasion. And I think it just shows how we talk so much about diversity. But still, authors face, especially those who are struggling to get published, face all these barriers. So I think, like, the honest advice is that things are better than they were before. We still have a long way to go. And every single person who writes these books and keeps pushing, even if you're met with, like, a slam door, is making progress. And it's important for us all. When one of us rises, we all rise. I notice that in romance, 
I see a lot more, and, I, and when I say a lot, I'm, I'm speaking relatively here, um, a lot more books that feature male-male relationships than I do female-female relationships. Um, and I'm curious if you have any thoughts on why that might be. That is something that I don't have much thoughts about. I don't obviously write books that have um, that star uh, female female relationships. It's just not something that I want to take a space away from from somebody who can mm-hmm. write that better. I will note that like in the past year, and a great um, person, if you don't know about them, your reader doesn't know about is Dahlia Adler has LGBTQ books, and she does a lot of honestly, she does the most work. We owe her so much about like queer books and prom- ah. promoting them. And her website is lgbtqbooks.com. Um, and she actually noted not that long ago that this year there were more traditionally published women, women books by female authors than male, male authors. And that has not always been the case. Um, so I think that we don't see them because they don't get marketing support. I think that's the biggest thing. There's more books being published, but the marketing for some reason doesn't happen. And I think that's because marketing might be nervous about the idea of lesbian or bisexual lesbian relationships starring women because it might uh, alienate the base. I know that there are a lot of female authors and readers who really do gravitate towards male-male books and male, especially in like the indie published genre. I think that traditional publishing has the disadvantage of always kind of being behind by like three to five years of what's happening in like the zeitgeist of society. Um, Yes. And so it's like a really unfortunate thing when like it's 2022 and we're just getting on the bandwagon of own voices, books published by LGBT authors when readers have been asking for that since 2017. Right. Right. Like there are definitely, you know, you can see that kind of coming into their own now, but like, why didn't that happen, you know, five years ago? Like that's always a thing that I wonder. Um, And as somebody who identifies as lesbian, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for like those really authentic um, lesbian romances. And I, I do see some of them, you know, I, I see more of them now than I did, but I still, you know, I'm always looking like, Oh, you know, is, is there one more? Is there another one? Maybe. <laughs> and you always have to look for them. You're like, Oh, I didn't know this existed because they don't get the same marketing support. Right. It, it's true. Like the, um, Oh, Written in the Stars by Alexandria Belfler came out mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, which I really, really loved. And I've been following her, um, you know, since she wrote that. And the um, kind of fantasy-based uh, rom-com, uh, Payback's the Witch by Lana Harper, like also gave us a really lovely uh, female-female relationship. So I feel like I'm I'm finding more of them, but the... It just seems so slow. You know, I fully agree. And I don't quote me on this. Your your listeners may like drag me in my DMs. Um, but I think <laughs> the author of the Charm Offensive has a lesbian book coming out. I think. I feel oh, like I Alison Cochran. I feel like I, have I, I have to might look be for wrong. that. <laughs> um, but I think they do. I'm not sure though. Maybe I just read it wrong. Oh well. <laughs> I'll have to look on on Goodreads and see because a lot of times you can see. Um, you know, stuff like talked right. about before it comes out. So I will take a look because the Charm Offensive is actually sitting on my iPad right now. Um, I have not read it yet, but I want to. It is on my because it looks delightful. Yeah. So speaking of your to be read list, what have you read recently that you really want the world to know about and fall in love with? 
Ooh, so the two most recent books, I'm, there's actually three. I'm going to give all three because one of them we've talked about a lot, but I think that they still deserve their due. Uh, the Soulmate Equation by Christina Loren has been one of my favorites. Oh, yes. Um, I love them. It's a great book. I just recently read Love Scenes by Bridget Morrissey. I'm as a film person and like the lover of like sets and stuff like that. I absolutely adored that. I started Lease on Love by Fallon Bollard, which has been such just a fun, like kick-ass feminist, like fun book. Um, and I'm about to read because it's downstairs in my like Amazon locker, which I know I, I bought it by Amazon. I'm so sorry. It just it was going to come today and it came this morning. Oh. Oh, and I need it for the train tomorrow that I'm taking. I recently bought uh, The X-Hex by Aaron Sterling, and I'm very excited to read that. Oh, The X-Hex. Like it came out right around the same time as um, Payback's Witch. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, and what is it? Like, Witch Please by Anna Gire. Right. We had, like, a like, whole movement for a week. Yes. Yes, we did. Of, like, fantastic witchy romances, which made my soul, like, incredibly happy. Because <laughs> I, I love witchy books. Read, and I'm just very excited for that. Sorry. Those are books that I've read. The first three I've read. The last one is one that's, like, I'm going to start devouring it at 9 o'clock in the morning tomorrow. <laughs> well, I hope it keeps you company on the train and is everything that you're wanting it to be. Thank you. You're welcome. So one last question before I let you dash off to whatever is next in your schedule. But as a writer, as someone who who tells stories for a living, basically, what stories, what types of stories do you think are the things that draw people the most? Like if you had to decide like something that was going to sell, like, would it be romance? Would it be sci-fi? Like, what do you think is like the kind of in thing at the moment? Ooh, that's a hard one. But if I had to like, <laughs> write, I really think we are in a resurgence of like this from 15 years ago, but modernized. So like a revival and like an ode to nostalgia, which like kind of allows me to like lightly plug my next rom-com, which comes out this December, um, which is called A Dash of Salt and Pepper. And it's a cooking rom-com about a boy who loses his job and his boyfriend and has to return back to his hometown and ends up gets the opportunity of a lifetime to uh, secure a position in a fellowship in Berlin if he can raise the money for the down payment and ends up begrudgingly working with a head chef in the restaurant in the town where he grew up in and them falling in love while also like having very taming of the shrew vibes. But the way that it has nostalgia in it is that the town is called Harper's Cove. And I pitched it to my editor as being stars hollow, but gay. And so we very much have that dual more girls. girls. Exactly. And so I feel like we're in an era where we're taking a lot of those like 90s, 2000s that we all fell in love with and kind of like bringing them back. And it allows us to have that nostalgia and feel like that warm comfort, but also modernizing things for like current society in a way that's really interesting. Where were the gay people in Gilmore Girls? I really need to know. 2000 TV shows. They just didn't exist. <laughs> There's just like so many things that I love about that show, but it was definitely not inclusive. No, it wasn't, which is actually kind of funny because when my editor was like, when we 
at least for me at Berkeley, they always ask me, like, if you could have an actor play these roles for cover design. I was like, the love interest is basically Milo Ventimiglia in his 40s with tattoos and, like, a beanie. And very much like a hipster look. And they're like, Milo's from Gilmore Girls. And I was like, exactly, y'all. Keep up. Let's yes. go. Yes. <laughs> Girls. I, I sometimes just think, like, I need to rewatch that and totally embrace like all the things that I loved about it and just sort of ignore the things that I didn't. Yeah, that's that, when it ever comes to a nostalgia TV show, I have to remember that these are products of their times. And I, it's always a, a rough balance between being a product of your time and ignoring things that are blatantly like wrong. Like bring it on is a great example. Um, it's a product of its time, but it has like sexual assault in it and really like bad slang for gay people in it, which is harder to ignore. But then there's other yes. things that are products of their times that just aren't like great or how we would navigate that in today's society, but they're not inherently offensive. Right. They're just a little, I don't know, like off track from what someone might do or want to do like today. Exactly. Like I think but in the their, but in their time, like they were super popular and people felt like, you know, they were, I don't know, like very forward thinking. Exactly. And very forward thinking and just like, like a relationship with your stepbrother, which I believe is in Clueless or crushing on your stepbrother, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, we probably wouldn't have that nowadays in a TV show or a movie. But back then in the 90s, her relationship with Paul Rudd, like, isn't as weird for, like, the early 2000s in a cinematic movie genre. But, like, we probably, if we were redoing Clueless, we'd probably take that out. And yet, like, if you look at some of the stuff we see, like, in romances, like, there's all kinds of, like, stepbrother things going on here. There's a lot. There's a lot, especially in indie published romance, which I think is like a wild, wild west of romance that I I can't write that fast. And I applaud any indie author because I'm like, the amount of work y'all pump out, y'all pump out four books when I'm still working on half a book. Yes, indie authors are amazing and just like their their volume, but also the quality of of their work. Like we see that in romance. We see it in like urban fantasy and paranormal. Oh, yeah. My quality. I have a lot of love. If I had to publish four books in a year. Reminds me of like Nora Roberts, who has, you know, this formula for creating her four books a year and, you know, talks about like how she does it and that it's just sort of a thing that like isn't hard for her. And I always wonder, like, how how is that? Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you. Right. You know, and they're not like short, like little, you know, novella length books. They're <laughs> they're pretty substantial. So I wonder, you know, just how how does somebody create that much in the space of one year? Yeah, it takes a system. It, it must. Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time out of your schedule. We are recording this just a few days, as you pointed out, less than 100 hours before the publication of I'm so not over you and I really appreciate your time today thank you so much and I really really appreciate having me before you disappear can you let listeners know the best place to find you online sure you can find me anywhere um, on all social media platforms by my name k-o-s-o-k-o jackson so my website my instagram handle my twitter account
perfect. And again, this has been a discussion of I'm So Not Over You by Kasoko Jackson, releasing on February 22nd. All right, so this is going to be a little bit of a strange new release episode because so many of the books that are releasing this week were mentioned in our March extravaganza episode, also known, of course, as our most anticipated releases of March. So I'm going to run through those pretty quickly, and then we'll talk about a few books that weren't mentioned there, but the so many of them um, are ones we've talked about before. So this is a very good week for Stacy because she is looking forward to With Love from Rose Bend, Rose Bend number three by Naima Simone. And this is one that Kristen, Natalia, and I are also pretty excited about. Stacy is also looking forward to The Shop on Royal Street, Royal Street Book One by Karen White. This is a spin-off from her Trad Street series. Melissa is also a fan of this series. I am super excited for the new Jesse Q. Sutanto. This is Four Aunties and a Wedding, Aunties number two. Um, Christine is looking forward to this as well as is Natalia. And I was fortunate enough to read an early copy of this, and it is every bit as amazing as Dial A for Aunties, which was the first book introducing these characters that came out last year. Kristen is looking forward to Beauty and the Baller by Ilsa Madden Mills. And this one sparked a lot of interest on our episode. Um, this is an author that a couple of us have heard of before, have thought about trying, but just have never actually gotten around to reading. So it was pretty great to hear um, Kristen describe this particular book. We also have from Georgina, um, all of Georgina's most anticipated releases are out this week. We have What Happened to the Bennetts by Lisa Scottolini, A Relative Murder, Meddler Number 4 by Jude Devereaux, and a Jenny Colgan, which Sarah and Stacy really like, and this one is one that I'm pretty interested in as well because it takes place at a school. This is Welcome to the School by the Sea, Little School by the Sea, book one, and again, this is by Jenny Colgan. Brooke is super excited for the latest Kathleen West, which is Home or Away. This is another one that I read an early copy of, and I was so enchanted with it. Her debut novel, I think, is still my favorite, but this one is definitely one to pick up if you have enjoyed her other books. And Melissa is looking forward to the latest Erica Spindler novel. This is The Detective's Daughter. And Erica Spindler is an author that I discovered back in the early 2000s, and so I'm really glad to see that she's still writing and that people are continuing to read her particular brand of mystery with romantic elements. Okay, so those are books that you've heard us talk about before. If you want more details on any of those, you can go back to our March extravaganza episode. Um, there's a lot there. March, I think, is like the biggest 
this this March is like the biggest month we've ever had for books that we're excited about. Um, but let's talk about a few things now that weren't covered in that episode. So Yasmin Gallinorn released a novella this week. This actually came out on Sunday the 27th. This is The Tangled Sky, and it's Hedge Dragon number two. Um, a thing to know about this particular book is that it was originally slated to be a full-length novel, but turned into a novella while she was writing it. Um, it would make more sense if you read the first book in the series um, before diving into this one. However, if you have not read her Wild Hunt books, don't be concerned that you can't read um, her Hedge Dragon books. They are a spin-off, but you don't necessarily have to know, you know everything contained in the Wild Hunt to really enjoy these. So this again is The Tangled Sky. It's Hedge Dragon Book Two by Yasmin Gallinorin. Francesca May is releasing her debut novel. This is Wild and Wicked Things. It's an alternate history kind of fantasy set at the end of World War One. It's magic and romance with lots of intrigue and a world at the end of World War One that is unlike the world that we're familiar with in you know traditional historical fiction. So this is Wild and Wicked Things, and it's by Francesca May. If you like paranormal romance on the steamy side, this next one will be for you. It is The Dragon's Bride, Deal with a Demon, book one by Katie Robert. And Katie Robert writes all kinds of things from like retellings of myths to mafia romance to just straight up contemporary romance. Um, she has some romantic suspense. I really enjoyed everything she's done um, and watching her create like an urban fantasy slash paranormal romance world um, makes me really happy. So I will definitely be picking this up. It is The Dragon's Bride, Deal with a Demon, book one by Katie Robert. Then we have Savage City. This one is coming out on March 31st. It's Savage City, Bliss War, book one, by L. Penelope. And this is an author that Mika told me about a few years ago. And I've really enjoyed the stuff that I've read by her. And this series makes me super excited. So basically, our heroine dies at the beginning of the book. But death is only the beginning. Because instead of going to heaven or hell, she is transported to this city. And I don't quite know like, how this city works. But it is ruled by dueling shifter clans. So this is something I definitely want to pick up. It is Savage City, Bliss Wars, book three, I'm sorry, book one by L. Penelope. Then I'm going to stick with romance here, but throw in a historical. Um, and we are going to talk about the latest Vanessa Riley book, this is A Duke, the Spy, an Artist, and a Lie, Rogues and Remarkable Women, book three. And again, this is by Vanessa Riley. Um, this goes along with A Duke, the Lady, and a Baby. 
and an earl, the girl, and a toddler. Um, I loved the first book in this series so incredibly much, and I'm super excited to catch up with the rest of them. I did not even know that this was coming out, so this was a very happy surprise for me this week. Um, I think Bonnie Turpin is supposed to narrate this in audio as well, which would make me very, very happy. Um, but I highly recommend Vanessa Riley for her historical romances. She also has a historical fiction title called Island Queen that came out last year that I'm super excited about. So this, once again, is, <clears throat> excuse me, is a duke, the spy, an artist, and a lie, Rogues and Remarkable Women, book three by Vanessa Riley. So keeping it historical, but moving away from romance, I want to talk about the new Kate Quinn. And this is always like a big thing in March because um, Kate Quinn releases like her epic, um, her epic historical fiction in the spring. So this is The Diamond Eye, and it is historical fiction that takes place at the end of World War II, and it's about a Russian assassin. Um, Kate Quinn has written a number of historical novels surrounding World War II. Um, she's done some dual timelines between World War I and II. Um, so this one is just at the end of the Second World War, and it is The Diamond Eye, and again, it's by Kate Quinn. We also have, this is a kind of dual timeline novel as well. This is The Wedding Veil by Christy Woodson Harvey. This has its basis in reality, um, but of course fictionalizes the story of a very famous wedding veil and how it has been passed down through generations to influence women living in modern day. Again, this is The Wedding Veil and it's by Christy Woodson Harvey. We also have The Long Weekend. This, this is the latest novel by Gilly McMillan. I know that Natalia is a big fan of hers. I have read one, maybe two McMillan books, and I did enjoy the one that I read. Like the one that I'm, I'm positive that I read, I did enjoy. Um, I just can't remember if I've read others. But this one is a suspense novel about a group of women who head to kind of a weekend escape. They go to this really remote place in England. This is apparently not a good idea. It turns very deadly very fast. So this is The Long Weekend by Gilly McMillan. And I am wrapping up today with a young adult novel that made me super happy. As soon as I saw the blurb, I put it on hold at my public library. I'm hoping that I get it before too long. And this is Live, Laugh, Kidnap by Gabby Noon. She wrote Layover Land in either 2020 or 2021. But this is a new novel about teen girls who take on a mega church in their small town. Um, I'm not super familiar with mega churches. I've heard of them. Uh, my partner lived in a city where one was like pretty powerful, um, but it's not a culture that I know a lot about. But I'm always here for teenage girls kind of taking on, you know, the, the patriarchy and standing up for what they believe in. So this is one that I'm super excited for. It is 
Live, Laugh, Kidnap by Gabby Noon. So that is all I have for you today. I hope that you have found some fantastic things to keep you company over over this week as we transition from March into April. Um, next week looks to be another big release week, although I don't know that it'll be quite as big as this one. But we'll be back to talk about it. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.